Cambridge 105 Radio, Gadget Guide gives you a download on the world of tech. Rob Chipperfield and Lawrence Mikhailoff take you through streaming TV services, the latest releases from Apple and Google, and everything you need to get the best out of working from home. Digital assistants are helping us to do more in our homes. Does your light bulb respond to voice commands yet? Cambridge Technology Company, Rosbury Pie have some news. Gadget Guide, Monday at 6, online and on Cambridge 105 Radio. The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, you are listening to the Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. That alarm is telling you it's now time to listen in to all the great stuff and some less great stuff. Um, gracing local cinema screens, I'm Ashley Whitaker, standing in for your usual hosts, Emma and Yossi, who've taken some kind of summer holiday, which is not my vibe at all. But it's not just me. I'm joined by the wonderful Simon West. Hello. And Luke Irwin. Good afternoon. Third show, Luke. You'll be fine. Um, and Stuart Pask. Afternoon. And you're listening in on your own cans, aren't you, Stuart, to make sure everything sounds... <laughs> As always, I've always got my cans on. You've always got your cans on. You'll be fine. Um, however, everyone say Hello. As a group. Hello. Hello. Hi. Wonderful. This week, we are going to be looking at Bullet Train, 13 Lives, Hit the Road, DC League of Super Pets, and Prey, which has something to do with the Predator films, and that is a geniusly named prequel, not a sequel. They're entirely different, aren't they? Um, if you are a big fan of Brad Pitt, before I pay play this trailer, the Light Cinema in Cambridge has a Brad spotting season. <laughs> so you can go and watch one of Brad's films every Saturday, I think it is. Wednesday. Every Wednesday. This is why you're here. Um, <laughs> however, we are going to get on the fast-moving bullet train with young Bradley Pitt right now and have a listen in about what these five assassins are up to. Right on schedule. Deer Creek International Business Solutions, how can I help you? I am ready. Well, that's great, Ladybug. Ladybug? Your new operational name. Oh, I see what you're doing. Ladybug's supposed to be lucky. Ha! You don't have bad luck. Really? My bad luck is biblical. I'm not even trying to kill people and someone dies. Remember the suicidal bellboy? You drove him to the hospital. Hang in there, buddy! And he didn't die. Okay, the wedding. Johannesburg. It's time for some change. You want it simple for your first job back? It doesn't get simpler. We need to find a person who took that case. That's too easy. Okay, so we are on board a fast-moving bullet train. Five assassins who find out that their mission is intertwined somehow. I artfully faded down that trailer before your two favourite characters, Stuart, popped up, which I'll ask you about in a minute. Director David Leach is back with their attempt at an action film. Um, screenplay adapted from a Japanese story. Stuart, who are your favourite pair of characters, by the way? Why do you like them so much? This is a big starry cast, isn't it? But two people stood out for you in this heist thriller. Yeah, so for me there are a lot of uh, interesting casting choices throughout this film, and I think um, two of them that stood out for me were the the twins, um, which are Tangerine and Lemon. They're code names, presumably. We don't hear their actual twins names. Twins in inverted commas. In inverted commas, yes. Because we have Brian Tyree Henry, a black American man, and Aaron Taylor Johnson, a very small 
white Englishman. <laughs> so you, 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 we saw us in a cinema together and you telling me that Brian uh, Tyree Henry had been in Atlanta. Oh, uh, he's paper boy. He is the golden child. Actually, mm, Lakeith Stanfield is the best thing in Atlanta. But yes, we know Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta. But Aaron Taylor Johnson, perhaps more recently, was in The King's Man, which was last year, which I, I yeah. again, I didn't really recognise him in. But I think uh, in, in this one, he stood out a bit more. Um, but I, I really enjoyed their pairing and the fact they're putting on these sort of... Sort of Cockney uh, English accent, and they've got this mm-hmm. kind of sweet brotherly bond, but they're always sort of fidgeting and arguing to and fro yeah. from from the very start of the film, more or less. Um, and for me personally, it, it was very very nostalgic because it turns out that Brian Tyree's character Lemon is and all and still is a uh, huge Thomas the Tank Engine fan, and he spends a lot of his time throughout the entire length of the film comparing all of the characters he interacts with with various different tank Labels engines. Labels them with stickers, Disney's is like, oh, you're a controller, you're a Thomas, you're a exactly, Henry or whatever. Percy's, etc, etc. And, and that just really struck home for me. So I, 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 I very, we're very fond of these characters very early on. Um, and, and, they, and they riff very well together throughout the film. So I think for a film that I went in to see with no expectations, I hadn't even seen the trailer, so I had no idea what sort of tone to expect. The fact that it had this silly little sort of storyline running throughout where they're talking about this children's television show and book franchise for, for, the, for the duration. I, 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 yeah, it, for me, nostalgically, it, it sort of put me on early on and, and it did make me laugh a lot. <laughs> I wonder how well that played out to international audiences. Stuart, I'm sorry, Simon, I'm going to leave you to last because I know what you think and you are <laughs> naughty stepping for this one. But, Luke, well, well, with the hook in from the Thomas the Tank Engine thing, which would not have played well for anyone outside of England above a certain age there's kind of talk of cultural appropriation as well in this film with a lot of the storytelling and the race of all the actors playing what did you think of it as a white english person going into this did you enjoy it for its kind of homage to japanese culture and action films or was it kind of jarring for you in a word uh, no. no. So as, mu- as much as Stuart loved this film, I think I'm the, the complete other end of the spectrum. A lot of the advertising for the film um, uses the line, is there such a thing as underthinking, which is the line um, that's given to Brad Pitt's character in the film. And I think it also applies to the viewers of this film. Um, I'm not saying you have to be an idiot to like this film, oh. but you really have to not think Stuart's about any... Stuart's our idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal. You really have to not think about any anything that's happening so um beyond the fact that it's self-indulgent there's a dozens of just pointless little details there's a vignette which tells the backstory of a water bottle and i'm sitting there watching it thinking what on earth is going on and there's no character development the story revolves around a series of coincidences in a way that's completely unsatisfying and as you alluded to the um the Japanese setting, it's not necessarily racist, but it's certainly icky, the fact that the film revels in this Japanese iconography. All the characters are introduced with Japanese symbols alongside their names, yeah. and we see, you know, nighttime shots of, you know, Tokyo and Kyoto. But there are no Japanese characters in the film. There's a cu- you know, there's a couple that are there for plot development, but why on this train in... Kyoto is every single character a white American or a cockney. Yeah, or a cockney. Um, 
it felt as though David Leach liked this concept. He liked the iconography, but he wasn't really interested in the setting at all, which makes me wonder why not, you know, why continue to make it set in Japan if you're not going to have at least um, significant supporting roles for Japanese actors. I get that entirely. Yeah. And whilst I was washed away with a lot of nostalgia throughout this, I did I, I did observe. Yeah, you're quite right. You know, the the, the casting of, of Japanese actors in this film is is pretty low bar, and when they are cast, they're cast as pretty stereotypical triad members, and that's that's about it. That's the that's the role they play in this film. Okay, Simon, you hated it. Spoiler alert. But. Um, <laughs> Brad Pitt's doing a lot of the legwork, firstly in getting people into cinemas to see this, and I think throughout the film, but is he cosplaying as Brad Pitt in his 50s cool guy stoner phase? Did he save anything for you in this? I mean, Brad Pitt is always watchable. He has great chemistry. He's got great chemistry with Sandra Bullock. We saw that in The Lost City and Channing Tatum. And they're not even on screen. Sandra Bullock is just playing a voice through it, so you don't Mm. even get that chemistry. He's on his own most of the time, making jokes about Japanese toilets that felt bad in the 90s. Um, Yeah, we've known about smart toilets for a couple of decades, guys. We've known about smart toilets for a couple of decades. In the early 90s and early 2000s, after the success of Tarantino and Guy Ritchie, there were an absolute slew of knockoff wannabe films like Lucky Number Seven, um, The Boontop Saints, yeah. and none of them were any good because the problem is they're derivative. They don't have their own voice. And this is the biggest problem with this film. It just tries to rip off so many better ideas, better directors. You've got people like talking about the code names they've been given, you know, straight out of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. It's, it's all been done. It's all been done better. I don't know why it's set in Japan. It's all CG. It's bad CG. The other characters on the train are just pure props and they don't even exist. I mean, there's a big thing in the in the film it says here's a bullet train there were 13 second class seven first class and there's a carriage which nobody's in except whenever they need a big fight scene with nobody else in it which comes up several times that's what i was worried about the staff constantly disappear (laughs) unless they actually needed to prop the you know it's the uh, other customers must be cg Mm. the film just does not work it tries so hard it tries to be cool and it just fails oh I agree with you on a lot of that it has been done better and I got little snippets of Reservoir Dogs and all this kind of thing, but is it not trying to work as a love letter to those films? Or, Stuart, why is it that you liked it? Did you appreciate what it was trying to do? It knew it wasn't going to be as great. It knew it wasn't the first or the best. It's just bringing back all the bits we love about films like that. I mean, yeah, I'll be the first to admit that when I, when I come on the show, I'm not as big a cinephile as some of the other reviewers I sit with. I, I, I like to... I, I, I go and see films that I think I'll enjoy, um, and and it gives me very little <laughs> range of complaining about things. But every now and then, things do annoy me. But on this occasion, when I'm sitting and watching this film, for for its flaws, I think it looked like a film that all of the actors and all the people involved were having a great time making it. And I think that came across on the screen. I think that's part of the problem. I was re- hearing about, apparently it was supposed to be quite serious when they made it, and they were what? doing it. And it did... Fe- it it evolved into a comedy during filming because the actors were having a great time. Uh, but as we've always said, just because the actors are having a great time on set, doesn't mean it doesn't are. mean he's going to have a great time in the audience. 
But you had a great time, Stuart. So what was it then that kept you going for, was it two hours, I think? I think that's one of the things we observed when we came out, that the running order, it being a regular criticism on, on this programme, is, is a regular thing. But I think we all I think we all agreed it didn't seem to last. Oh, the drag for you, OK. It before, so much. A couple of us observed that it didn't quite, it didn't, it didn't drag as, as long as you thought it, it would do. It zipped by for me. Yeah. And I, and I think that was one of the good things. I thought it was pretty snappy. I thought it ran it along at de- a decent pace. Um, I don't think there are too many moments when you're sort of left um, with, like, nothing happening. So there's always something punchy happening. It's always snap, 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 next thing, next thing, next thing. And and for me, you know, that's just a nice little thing to, to roll out of the office into a cinema, not really have to sort of, sort of switch off, watch a film, and just absorb it as it, as it comes in, it sort of assaults your senses. <laughs> well, Luke, you were kind of on the... F- well, you weren't on the fence. You didn't no. think it was great, but you don't hate it as... Yeah, venomously yeah, somewhere as in the Simon. middle, which, which isn't perhaps the greatest compliment in the world. Do you but what, think... What I, sorry, I was sorry say, go What on. I do think is, if you like David Leitch's films, if you like Deadpool 2, which I didn't, and if you like Hobbs and Shaw, which I didn't, mm-hmm. and if you liked Atomic Blonde, which I didn't, I think you will like Bullet Train. So I think it definitely knows what its audience is, and it's yeah. certainly appealing to those. But if you're looking for something that's good and not simply two hours of forgettable fun well he makes a certain kind of action film doesn't he and it's kind of a mick take of the genre so if you're very serious about this kind of thing i think it will really annoy you a bit like last show when i think i was the only person that liked the gray man because i think action films are stupid did you like the gray man Gray Man was good I was we, on my show, but we I are actually, simpatico you and i we liked know, cats though back, <laughs> it was a, you know classic film it very 90s tropes but yeah. it worked with what it's trying to do. So that worked for me. It's the kind of action film I like because I enjoy the choreography of fight sequences and they just packed them in to impress me and keep me entertained. I like this kind of action film as well, which is a bit of a mixtape of the films that I think take themselves a bit too seriously. For for the cinephiles and you correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't David Leach? Isn't his heritage from he's 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 a stuntman by trade, isn't he? And yeah. he, he was a stunt coordinator. Um, he co-directed John Wick uh, with um, is it Chuck Starsky? The other um, guy. The other Starsky. Um, and he did come from stunt coordination. A lot of his films are very action orientated. Um, yeah. I, I actually like Atomic Blonde. <laughs> I didn't mind Hobbs and Shaw. Nobody um, liked it. Deadpool Blonde, 2, not Simon. as good as the first one. but uh, you just He's a- getting there, but this... I don't think it was always the direction that fault. The, some of the action scenes worked well. Some mm-hmm. were well choreographed. Some were like quickly edited to the kind of what's going on. But there were some really good moves in here. Um, I unfortunately, felt- it was just overdone with the blatant CGI and everything else. I don't think, a bit like The Grey Man really did lean into the brilliant choreography and that's what it sold itself on. This film is selling itself on the cast. You want to be looking at those pretty faces saying funny things to each other constantly. So we've talked a bit about Brad Pitt and then we have the twins Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry. Michael Shannon is shipped in at a pivotal moment to be very Michael Shannon, underused I think. We have Joey King, a very, very young female actress, playing alongside, equal pegging alongside Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, these huge, um, brilliant, lauded actors. Do we think that she was used well? I had some problems with the way they shot her in certain scenes, but we... 
were you impressed by Jerry King or did she jar against the grown-up men that she was kind of shoved alongside in this? Um, I think, well, I think she jarred, but I think that's just not her fault. I think that was just purely the script and the way the character yeah. was written. Um, she was fine. She's not somebody I'm familiar with, but, you know, she was actually fine. It was just purely the character yeah, she does, um, I had issues with. She does get the short end of the stick in the script because the film goes out of its way to give the male characters every opportunity to be sympathetic, as awful as they are as people, whereas Joey King's sort of painted as this manipulative young little girl and she plays mm. into the role well but you feel a bit sorry for her that while the men are having all the fun and she's getting all the laughs she's kind of a baddie isn't she yeah, she's, but getting, she's, she's getting laughed at and I feel like at the script of times she's sort of punching down at women yeah. in a way that's uncomfortable I didn't notice it until one of the final shots we see her in it's the most gregarious pointless male gay shot and I notice it a lot in kind of manga where we from the feet upward she's got a very short pleated skirt on i was like why are we shooting her you it was completely ridiculous they did lose me there and then that's when i think i realized i twigged on this is a mick take of these kinds of tropes so let's just have fun and lean into the last half hour but anyway that was bullet train directed by david leach um take that or leave that headed up by the wonderful brad pitt it's showing at the the light and probably the view I don't think this is Picture House Fair in Cambridge is it? Is it the Picture House as well? That's how big it is um, It's showing up for me on IMDB unhelpfully as rated R which can mean anything Certificate 15 Certificate 18? A 15 yeah. It looks like a 15 to me Go and give it a go, it's good fun It is a whole two hours though and we don't do that kind of thing here do we? We are moving on to a very different pace of film now. If you remember the news from a couple of years ago, I think um, a Thai football team was trapped in some dangerous and almost impossible to escape caves until they shipped in some volunteers from the UK. This is 13 Lives. <laughs> hey Rick, you following what's happening in Thailand? Some kids stuck in a cave. We're on the list of rescue divers. It's just a tourist cave. It looks easy, but when it's flooded, it's impassable. It takes a certain kind of mindset for the deep cave diving. You have to be a bit nuts. They're very, very dangerous. High water level and the low visibility. Barely shoulder wide, pulling against very strong currents. Last seen nine days ago, 12 boys and their coach are trapped in the flooded caves. Hello? Hey. They're here. How many of you? 13. 13? They're all alive. Uh, can we go out now? So, whether you remember the rescue mission from the news or not, as you heard in the trailer, there are 13 young boys from the football team with their coach trapped in almost impassable caves. And then we ship in Vigo Mortensen and Colin Farrell, who are kind of like the RNLI of cave rescues. They, they're they a volunteer body. They're the only people in the world that um, sh will probably be able to get these kids out. 
Luke, Ron Howard, Mr. Christmas, directed this. This is a little darker and a bit more sedate than his usual fare. He's done real-life stories before. Why do you think he's turning his hand to this one in particular? Um, I think there's a real appeal for these these kinds of stories based on um, real life. So Ron Howard, he did Apollo 13 in the 90s, and he also did Backdraft, which is another film that it's been compared to, as well as uh, Clint Eastwood's Sully was another film that is similar to this in style. Um, is one of these stories behind the stories. You know, you've heard you've heard what the news has to say, but you don't know what really went on behind the scenes, or in this case, you know, in the caves. Um, I think one of the issues with the film is that the story is so recent. I think it was 2014. I think it feels right. Well, yeah. we lost no, we lost really COVID years, years, so it feels yeah. extra recent, doesn't it? Was it that recent? I was just basing it on the World Cup results that uh, play throughout the film. That's um, how you mark your life, you do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a bit of a shame that, you know, I think it's very hard to go into this film without knowing how it ends. Whereas, like, even with films like Apollo 13, there was enough distance between the event and the story. Um, that younger you could, viewers really yeah, had no idea. You could either idea. forget or you wouldn't have it so fresh to mind. So it really lacks something in this case. I mean, the film is two and a half hours long. Is it? Mm. Oh, that didn't feel and like that for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it really emphasises the sort of the bureaucracy and the, the mm. technicalities of saving them in a way that's interesting and it kind of sidesteps the, uh, the, the thrilling, what you might expect of a thrilling nature of do the kids get saved. It's more about how do they get saved. Yeah. Um, you might consider it boring, if you were watching on a Friday... Like, the film dropped on a Friday night, and I think if you see a Ron Howard film about cave rescue, you think, get the pizzas in, get some beers, watch this fun film. But it, it's not that. Um, it's not bad, but... Not as thrilling as you'd hope, yeah, yeah. maybe, from but such uh, yeah, a big it, director and a yeah, big it really, story. It struggles to know what to do with the idea. Okay. Simon, this kind of played... I was interested all the way through. I totally agree with Luke about it's not about do they get saved. We know the end of the story. It's about how they manage to do it. It felt a bit documentary-esque to me in pace. Was that okay for you, even though you maybe weren't expecting it? it I mean, it was fine for me. Um, yeah, it happened in 2018. I just checked that. It was four years ago. Thanks for the Google license. Like we lost a few years. Um, yeah, it's an interesting mix between documentary and, you know, real life, how, how they did it w with the facts and everything that go into it, which I think it did work because you don't, although you hear on the news they got rescued, they got dragged, you don't get the impact of what happened. How difficult it was. How difficult. Death defying. Why people couldn't go in, the extra work people were doing to divert the water. Um, really enlightening. We were saying it's not much of a Friday night film, and I can see that. I'm just, when watching it, I was like, if this is the film in the cinema, I couldn't go around and recommend, oh, go see that film necessarily. Two and a half hours long. If this was a five part, half hour drama, documentary on Netflix or something I'll be telling everybody yeah. go watch it, it's fantastic binge it all in one sitting mm -hmm. it's, you know, 
Um, Why are we like that? I, I don't know. Five it's, parts in one sitting, but not a film. You could, you know, if you wanted to, a bit like I remember the Irishman a while ago. It's like go down, split it up if you want. You to. can Watch split it. Over it. I agree. In two halves. The first. The film rushes into the events. It doesn't go into why you don't have too many sentimental bits about the kids getting trapped or anything like that or what's going in. So they don't know what happened there. You do get into yeah. discussions about how to rescue them and the, the, the method they use, as they say, where they sedate the kids. Mm. Um, as I say, it's unethical. They could end up killing them, but they're pointing out they're dead or already. You leave them there, yeah. And the implications of that as you're watching it. So, even if you know the outcome, I was absolutely gripped for the last yeah. hour, hour and a half. I found it really emotional. Um, amazing story. Um, yeah. It's worth watching. Yeah. And now you've reminded me that we didn't actually meet the kids. You'd think for this kind of story, you normally. Not waste, but you spend, spend you spend maybe the first the third and, yeah. of a film, you'll see them in school and at home with their families. And then that gets you invested and really makes you care. What made you care then, Luke, so if you it, didn't know them the whole I way think through? That, yeah, the fact that you highlight that shows, I think, just the, the... I mean, I didn't hate the film, but I feel like that's a real missed opportunity, actually, not to have the kids. There was a documentary about this event called The Rescue that was released last year. Um, and that was very highly regarded and I think it does a lot of the same stuff that this film does but one thing that it was criticised for is that they never interviewed the kids or the parents about the event and people complain, they're saying that the, these are crucial parts of the story why aren't we getting their input mm -hmm. and if you're making a you know, semi-fictional account of it, you have that creative licence to go into the caves and say hey what are the kids up to, you know, what are they doing what are they eating? Are they hungry? What are they talking about? You don't necessarily, just because we don't know this, I feel like the film could have used some creative license in that regard and shown us that and made us more emotionally Make it a bit involved more in what was happening. I think the film decides to be documentary style to its own cost at times. And I wasn't gripped by the, the final hour of the film. I was, I was intellectually satisfied but I was mostly wanting the film to end. Well, one thing that made me not want it to end, I really enjoyed the casting of this, and I did not see these people coming, playing run-of-the-mill English kind of volunteer cave divers. You have Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell, huge, sexy movie stars. I mean, Colin Farrell is almost recognisable as London IT supervisor. Um, right? Didn't they do heroes, a fantastic job? It, I mean, like I said, it, it was a testament to the typical British, you know, eccentric heroes, just quiet. They're not, I said, they're not that I'm anything. They're just people who enjoy caving at weekends yeah. and end up being really good at it. I mean, Joel Edgerton as well. When, when he's yes. introduced as the Australian who join, joins us, you know, the team. And I just like the way they just get things done. And they're so unshowy, un-superstar-y. Yeah. You know, I mean, occasional dodgy accent slips a little bit. But, yeah, Viggo and Colin were absolutely fantastic. That is very unusual casting, but it does really work. It's very much um, like Sully, very much celebrating the everyday have-a-go hero. And we have these normal people among us who can achieve groundbreaking things and I won't spoil it for you if you do not remember the news story um, 
there is a positive, mostly, outcome at the end, so don't be too worried. I think you did just spoil Sorry. <laughs> I said positive, mostly, and then I had a weird kind yeah. of slant on the voice. I could be, that could I be mean, a double I mean, bluff. Like I said, the whole operation wasn't without loss of life. Yes. Um, and they do pay respect yeah. to that, and it, you know, it heightens danger, just shows, you know... This was yeah. a terrible situation. It highlights how dangerous a, it was. A really well-used use of bringing up the words at the end of yeah. films. When those sentences flash up on the screen, they can often be the most impactful part of a film. And the one that I think you're talking about just reminds you, oh, Jesus, that's how difficult it was if those kinds of people didn't make it through. Mm. But that is... Oh, yes. It's a Thai Navy SEAL diver who didn't make it. Don't back. tell them stuff like that. That was a brilliant secret. <sighs> Sorry. Well, if you've read the news, then you would have known that already. But yeah, it was, that bit of information was very expertly woven <laughs> in at an impactful time. Alas, 13 Lives. I watched it at 7 a.m. in the morning. That's a nice early morning Saturday watch. Worked for me all in one go. A bit like a five-part Netflix crime documentary. I do those all in one go, too. Um, it's available now on Prime Video. It's Certificate 12A. Cambridge 105 Radio. Wednesday evenings on Cambridge 105 Radio is when we champion the Cambridge music scene. Tom Lumley of the band, Tom Lumley and the Brave Liaison. There'd always be 12 people from other bands going down to each other's gigs. And it wasn't just be part of Hollow Stars Classic Rock or Searching Ray's Indie. These people then started going to watch all of our gigs, singing the words to each other's songs and making it a good atmosphere. You could see it in the fact that it went from struggling to sell enough tickets for the corner house to selling out J2. New Music Generator with Tim Willett, Wednesday at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. suffering from buffering find yourself screaming not streaming or do you just lag behind then it's time to demand better broadband city fiber is building a brand new full fiber network across the uk giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average so you can stream game and video call without interruption get connected to full fiber today choose your provider at cityfiber.com cambridge 105 CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio welcome back you are listening to the cambridge film show on cambridge 105 radio if you've just tuned in you've already missed bullet train and 13 lives but now we are about to hit the road in this iranian family road trip film Sorry, 
also in Pana Panahi's chaotic but tender family road trip film. They're traversing a rugged landscape, fussing over their sick dog and kind of getting on each other's nerves. But then we have a mysterious older brother who's a bit quiet and we don't know much about him. Can't ever play much of the trailers in the foreign language films, so I just kind of fade them out and start talking over them. I can see the subtitles, you guys can't, because this does not have pictures. Anyway, <laughs> Luke, is this all that it seems or is there more? It just looks like kind of a nice, fun, rom-com, family road trip affair. There's been a lot of build-up to this film. The Picture House have been plugging it quite a lot. And you'll have to forgive me for not being really excited about the new Iranian road trip film from a first-time director. It sounds a bit niche. Mm, you'd think, oh... This may be, this might be hard work, but I'll have to say that I like it because I want to appear like a cinephile. <laughs> but there's a real lightness of touch that I wasn't expecting. I went in fairly blind to it, um, and it's not what you necessarily expect. There's, I hate these, you know, film X meets film Y style comparisons. But, but you know, if if I because this is a film that people should see. So I'd say this is, you know, this is Little Miss Sunshine meets Taxi Tehran, which I'm sure people won't... Most, See, most of I'm our into audience, it. Yeah, now most I'm of our audience it. won't know Taxi Tehran, but it was directed by um, uh, Panar Panahi's father, Jafar, um, and it was one of these sort of covert filmed... Um, films was basically just a film on his dashboard and he goes ar- around Iran having interesting conversations. Mm. And it hits a lot of the same... Um, well, issues that Iranian filmmakers have while being a really heartfelt family comedy. And I was really impressed by it. Other people have been impressed by it as well. I'm just scrolling on IMDb, the list of international film festival nominations it's had. Nominated at Cannes itself in 2021. It won Best Film at the London Film Festival. So, Simon, there must be more to it than a kind of rom-com family road trip film. What is it then that's the secret sauce that makes this a bit more special? Um, it's one of the greatest things about cinema is that you can really show the universal truths and um, truths and events and what you get in your life. Um, it, the language doesn't matter. I mean, this goes on there. There are multiple good Iranian films in the past, such as... Um, a separation and a girl walks home alone at night so you know we do get that one a ton of awards a girl walks every home so alone often night, yeah. um i mean we, we just mentioned they um his the director's father Fabahani, who had won the Cannes awards before has currently been jailed for eight years so it is very very difficult um right. for Iranian filmmakers um and this is one of the things that's actually led to the increase in the Iranian road movies is because they can film in cars I surreptitiously see. without being obvious and this is why often you you're forced into settings like this and the conditions they're working under I was completely um, ignorant of that you've got five cast members in this and that is it one doesn't even have a name so a, are we a few more cast members to that but, but we're trapped in the car mostly in the car moving you know that's why, but they make it. I mean, as Locke has shown the film Locke, you can have just one person in the car make an absolutely gripping film. Um, but the all the cast in here, it's you know the mother, the dad, the family, the whirling dervish. Ryan Sarlacc is a little kid, six year old, is absolutely wonderful in annoying everybody with his constant, non-stop attention seeking. Because he knows something's going on. He knows 
as I call it, as I said, a last gas party, and he suddenly picks up, hang on, in the films when they say last gasp, that means something bad's happening. And quite quickly you realise that while they're trying to make the best of it and as happy a trip as they can, you know it's not for the best reasons and it's not going to end well. And through this, it's all about, you know, the family's sacrifice, especially the mother's sacrifice and what they'll do to your family to keep them safe. Um, trying not to give too many spoilers away. Um, I'm gleaning that, what I think the road trip is. Even when they're yeah. outside of the car, the landscapes are spectacular. The cinematography, quite a few of the shots here are absolutely beautiful. Locked off cameras in distance where quite often they'll be focusing on one thing and all the dialogue and everything else is happening in the background blurred out. But it just seems to work about how intimate the family is, yet how universal a whole rest of it is. Um, you know, you go in, you, you hear it's good, you think, have I really got anything to come out of this film? And you come out of it thinking, this is one of the best films I've seen this year, this is what cinema's for, you can go and enjoy it, you don't need to know anything about it, you don't need to know the political history, you don't need to know why, that doesn't matter. It is just a wonderful, feel-good, serious <laughs> film which, you know, it's great to watch. Excellent. You're saying you don't need to know the political background to it, um, and I certainly don't, embarrassingly, but <laughs> I'll read about it, I promise. Luke, this then has a much deeper, more serious message behind it. Does it do a good job in conveying that, or do you need to be able to pick it up? Like Simon. I think this is going to be a film, like so many, that you'll take out of it what you bring to it. The you know, as much as I did love this film, and Simon's right, by the way, we talk about, you know, films are worth seeing at the cinema, and you think, like, oh, Bullet Train, that, that's one to catch on the big screen. Big, bright, yeah, shiny, yeah, sexy hit the, thing. Hit the Road is a film that deserves to be seen on the big screen. Yeah. For a different reason, yeah. Um, so I did I did love it, but I will spoil the part, party now by issuing some reservations, which is to say that there's, there's an unorthodox narrative device here, which is that they don't specify at the outset what the road trip is and I think the more you know about the context of the film the more that will be clear to you but if you go in quite blind to the story you might be a little bit frustrated at the lack of context that's being given okay. they sort of play out little hints and themes about you know what the big brother's doing so this last gasp ditch to go somewhere to do something and you get these these moments sort of play out almost absurdly where, you know, they're in a car and they have to meet a guy to get a sheepskin. And perhaps there's there's more to this if if you understand what's happening. But I think for many viewers, yeah. um, that well, might come across as a little bit right. abstruse. Yeah, fortunately, I, I do think those moments, you know, most people should be familiar enough with the general of what's happening and what's going on. And they're not specific to Iran in mm. general and okay. the political situation so you don't need a full history yeah. of Iranian politics you just need oh. to know generally yeah. what's happening in the world yeah, generally it, yeah. it's, it's, it gives you enough to point, paint a broad picture of what's yeah. happening okay. but I feel like it overplays its hand a little bit at times where you think why not just give us the full picture here and I feel like we'd, we'd go along for the ride a little bit smoother if the character just happened to give one line of dialogue explaining what was happening, rather than making us work so hard to eke out these little details yeah. that come out. This is the kind of film I think all of us 
on the Cambridge Film Show feel the need to sell to people. It's not the kind of thing lots of people will go and see at the cinema, but it sounds like both of you agree you don't need to know anything about Iranian politics. It's the Little Miss Sunshine reference, I think, will really help. It's a family road trip film, just a little more highbrow, and you can access that. Will everyone enjoy this? I mean, as I say, you know, as long as you can get over the six centimetre subtitles at the bottom of the screen, it's absolutely, you know, it's an absolute treat. Estimated budget for Bullet Train, I'm just looking at now, $86 million. Is this better than something that costs probably $85 million less? Without a shadow of a doubt. I think we're... You know, we're beyond the point now by, you know, the more stars there are in a film or the more set pieces or the more CGI there is. You know, we're smarter than that Not even days. one car explodes in this film, and yet I still loved it. Oh, they could have put the F in for one car explosion at least. That sounds like a resounding brilliant yes, and I am definitely going to go and catch um, Hit the Road. It's only on at the Picture House locally for us, isn't it? Um, But yeah, it's a subtitled film. Do not let that turn you off watching films not in the English language because you are cutting out 75% of global cinema. And it's a speedy one and a half hours long, which makes it 10 out of 10 in my book without even having seen it. We are going to pivot now to something completely different again as we enjoy keeping you on your toes to the latest kids animation. It is DC League of Super Pets. Wake up, buddy. It is walk o'clock. Maybe I should let him sleep. Okay. And I'm up. Okay, Crypto. We'll go for a walk. I have an owner, and he's Superman. Let me just iron that out. They should call me Iron Man. (laughs) No. My dog's the best, but he's not the greatest with other animals. What is new with you, fellow normal dog? I bit the FedEx guy the other day. Who was he working for? General Zod, the Legion of Doom? FedEx. Of course. The Federation of Exes. Not to be trusted. What is taking my honor so long? So, in DC League of Super Pets, we meet Crypto the Superdog and Superman. They're inseparable best friends. It's adorable. Um, They share the same superpowers. They're fighting crime side by side. But then Superman gets kidnapped and chaos ensues. Um, Written and directed by Jared Stern with Sam Levine and John Whittington at his side. Simon. You like a good kids' film. You and I actually both like a good kids' film. We are not above this. Um, You really liked the Lego Batman movie. You held that up as an example of an actual good kids' film that adults can enjoy, well-written. Jared Stern was involved in that. He wrote on that. I'm not sure if he directed it. But you didn't like this one, did you? No. I mean, it was fine. From the outset, it was fine. Fine is never good. Fine is never good. Um... Well, there's so much I didn't enjoy. I mean, I was really looking forward to it, surprisingly, with the cast and with everything else. But for me, it just did not gel together. It did not work. I found the animation was actually quite flat and uninspiring. Um, We're getting the whole issue about 
celebrity voices for everything rather than getting voice actors. So the whole one of the things from here was supposed to be it's Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart and they were always great in films together when you can see the Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart here they were just voicing characters that didn't actually fit their role I didn't or think personas. Kevin Hart matched because he's got uh, a really distinctive Kevin voice Hart being like a Batman dog Kevin, it did not match no. um, Dwayne Johnson's crypto it could have been anyone I mean going through half the cast list <laughs> I didn't even recognise Keanu Reeves as Batman who I although didn't... my sister-in-law did come out and say she's now Keanu Reeves is her favourite Batman <laughs> um, I said you go in looking forward to it Teen Titans go to the movie fantastic you know you said Lego Batman movie absolutely wonderful this was fine you know Just the only fine. saving grace was Kate McKinnon as Lulu the evil guinea pig um, taking over from Lex Luthor to take over she was great and that's um, the only real um, character I can think of that they bothered to give a story arc yeah. to yeah. or any real personality that had any yeah. kind of depth um, the rest it was just generic it seemed do you, you know, think maybe this fitting. is an animation for little little kids then because like things was, like the I mean, Lego honest, movie is for older you know, kids my family my nieces loved it my, you know, my brother loved it I know quite a lot of people did enjoy it if you like just general, you know, any Superman, DC film, they're okay. all big DC fans. Um, I... I'm, you know, a big DC fan. And it saddens me to say the only thing I can say about this was it's fine. It's there were fine. a couple of jokes I did laugh at. You're not mad, you're just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. I get um, it. As a proper grown-up person, I found this hard to follow, not because it's difficult, because there's nothing to hold on to. No. Fifteen minutes goes by, I'm like, sorry, what? I feel like I completely missed what went on. Oh, nothing. Excellent. Let's keep going. Yeah. I mean, you think... From the trailer, it implies that Ace the dog's going to be Batman's dog, even with his the cowl ears sticking up and all of that. And that happens in the last five minutes, so you don't even get that back and forth. It's just like here's Shove the origin that in at story the end. of Batman's dog that takes an hour and a half. It's, okay, well, it's, it's resounding no from Simon and I on DC League of Super Pets. Exec decision moving right on because I do know you have a lot to say about the next film it is the origin story of the Predator franchise this is Prey why do you want to hunt? because you all think that I can't I saw a sign in the sky I'm ready my boy Lots of crashing and banging. That's a bear trying to kill the lead character. The origin story of the Predator. Um, 
in the world of the Comanche Nation. So 300 years ago, we're in the 1700s in North America, and we have a very skilled female warrior who's trying to join in and fight to protect her tribe from what we think is a lion, and we find out that it's actually one of the very first highly evolved predators to have ever landed on Earth. We have a real-life original predator fan in the studio, Simon You've seen every single one of the films. Yeah. You are the original intended audience back in day. Where does this fit in... Well, we know it's the prequel. We know where it fits in the timeline. Yeah. Where does this fit in terms of style, tone, whether you liked it or loved it or hated it? The first one is the best one. Just off the bat, it's yeah. the best Predator film since the first one. It Shut is up. a fantastic film. If there's no other Predator film and you watch this standalone and never even heard a Predator film... This would be up there. Um, it's absolutely great. This is the one we've been waiting for. After the first one, and maybe the second one, there have been diminishing returns where everybody tries to do something too much. It's too much sci-fi. Mix it in, combine it with the aliens, which worked in comic book, not on film. These films, like the aliens films, after the second one, are known for being bad very bad they get your hopes up and then they dash them and it's like lucy holding the football from the peanuts every time they pull it away <laughs> and this one we got the hopes up but we finally got to kick the ball it was great it knows when to follow the original it keeps it nice and simple a few people hunters going out being hunted where the ones the supposedly weak ones because she's a female being overlooked until because she's not as harmless, um, comes back and fight. There are references to the first film, which were really clever, um, but not over the top, not not the usual, oh, here's a wink, we put this in, because you remember the first one? No Easter eggs, it's not Easter eggy at all. And I just want to say, because I don't think nobody does mention it, but my favourite part was when she ties the hatchet to a rope and throws it, so now the chopper comes to her, and I thought that was the best point of it. Um... I had an absolute ball. Big fan. Stuart, you are kind of closer to my age. I have never seen any Predator film because was girl in the 80s and those kinds of things were written off for grown-up men back in when they came out. So I went into this completely cold. I also had a great time. I did not come at it because I was a Predator fan. I came at it because I had to review it for this show and that's the only reason I saw it. I'm glad I did. You kind of have seen one or two, maybe. So you're in the middle of Simon and I in terms of your knowledge of the Predator multiverse. I know it's not a multiverse and I use that word wrong. Just go well, with it. What so, did you think? So to clarify the point of where it sits in that sort of in, in the, the, the lineage of Predator, it's the fifth entry in the series, not counting Alien versus Predator. Um, oh, I have seen that one. That's sucked. Yeah, so not including those horrible blockbusters which Simon's <laughs> described previously. The money makers. And then this film has no connections in as far as we can tell to the uh the the previous film from 2018 um which is um but this one i think is is really good and so as you're right you say the first one wasn't really that time it was out in 1987 was the first one came out that's the year we were oh, born that's our year that's yeah. our year hmm. yeah so that's that's why possibly for us it's a bit of a fuzzy memory we would have probably seen it not in the cinema, on but telly, the over late night showings, yeah. that sort of thing. So I have, I've seen it, and it's been a very long time since I've seen it. But I, I listening back to Simon there, he's triggered my memory on lots of points about the original, which I say I've not watched for a long time. And, and you're right, there are lots of little bits in there, like they, 
to dip into things literally and figuratively that will trigger your memory of the original Predator film. And e even to the point that they do like they reference a few quotes by directly quoting the quotes that Arnie says in the original. Oh, yeah? so like, I didn't like, pick up on They that. said the thing, they said the thing, and that's kind of exciting. But it's not done in a way that, that detracts from the film. With taste. It's with taste, yes. The best possible taste. And I think as well, the casting in this is fantastic. I mean, they've done a great job uh, of, of recruiting a cast who are of sort of and Native American origins themselves. So that, that is Bullet clear train on the take note. Yeah. And it's quite good as well. All of those characters on the screen, they all have names. None of the, 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 the white characters in, in it have any names at all. They're just referenced in the Ooh. credits as... Interloper number four. Based on their facial features and things like that. So that's pretty cool too. Oh, that, oh I like that. That's a good mm. move. Um, Luke, the director, Dan Trachenberg... I'm just looking him up, and I think I've realised now why I like this film so much. They made 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is a brilliant, unusual horror film. They've also directed a couple Black Mirror episodes. They're also um, all over the boys on Prime, which most people in I have met and spoke to as a human loved. Um, do you think it's his skillful creation and direction that has made this what it is? Was it special for you, before I ask you what made it so special? Yes, that's a, that's a good <laughs> place to start. So, I, I'm i not a huge Predator fan. I've seen the original, skipped all the others, and went straight to this one. And I feels like, you know, I'm just playing the greatest hits now. Because, you know... Uh, There's the no Pred going Predator back. Predator series has a 100% hit rate for me. And so, I was coming into this more of as a Dan Trachtenberg fan. So, I loved 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I think, like that film, he's taken this existing property that's sort of the, the Cloverfield horror franchise and sort of reinvigorated it with a, a new uh, direction. And I think he's done the same trick again here. He's made a really solid film that doesn't feel like a Predator film. I mean, the Predators. It, it really so does. If, if you it? like, if you like the Predator being invisible and having little lasers and shooting people, then then that's great. But the real strength of this film is the Native American cast. I think it's so. There's only been a handful of films where Native American or Indigenous um, characters are at the part of the film, um, and it's led by Amber Midthunder. I feel like we should give her she, all the plot because she leads. And it's very she much led. This film. She's fantastic. She's in every frame almost. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's at the heart of the film, both the action and in the the film has a real emotional weight to it with um, her relationship to the the other members of her yeah. family. So she's terrific. Um, and I think the best compliment I can give to the film is that it's not. It never feels exploitative. It never feels like it's doing Native Americans, because that's cool now. Mm -hmm. We've decided to yeah. set it here, so we better shove some mm. in. Um, I, I can't speak as a Native person. I can speak as a female, and to have that character in the lead, the thing I notice the most, and I don't think I've seen this since Sarah Connor, the character of her in Terminator, they don't shy away from how hard it is to be a female trying to play with the big boys she gets kicked the hell out of in this they do not give her an easy ride they don't kind of baby her or mollycoddle her she wants to play with the big boys and she does and it doesn't always end brilliantly we are so quickly running out of time on this and i was so brilliantly um surprised by this wonderful story 
Simon, did the previous films have as much of a human story element to them or did we rely on big mm. 90s, 80s flashiness? You're going into like full sci-fi, CG, right. costume, more violence. This was gorgeous. Less story. Whereas here, the best move he did was set it 300 years in the past so you could ignore all of them. I mean, the first one is just a group of, you know, over-macho guys in a forest and this one again you're in the forest just lands and it comes down to the you know the nature just the hunter hunted yeah in the wilderness without anything else being too contrived or techie and yeah. it's just and i think even when we do see the predator that's really gorgeously done it's mm. very artfully woven in and they are mostly invisible but when you do get to see them it's so brilliantly done yeah and i think it's a nice little nod to how far ago it is in timeline so it is the predator is a big sci-fi villain but even so it's a big sci-fi villain 300 years before the original and some of that comes across in in the way they've sort of addressed like the the the, 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 the costume and the technology the predator has it's earlier tech yeah i think they did a fantastic job of it we're going to do final word on prey luke people should see this even if they don't like predator they weren't around for the 80s and they hate sci-fi action rubbish absolutely so i watched this in a double bill with 13 lives last night and i complained that that wasn't a friday night film if i'd just been able to sit down and watch prey with my pizza and my beer i would have been a very happy boy a big blockbuster smash I loved it. Definitely go and see Prey. Well, kids, the time is nigh. The show is ending. We went through Prey, DC League of Super Pets, Hit the Road, 13 Lives, and Bullet Train. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>